chosen you out of the world. You did not choose me. I chose you. I have given you all authority and power. You shall receive my power and be my witness. You shall be strong and do great exploits. You shall be bold. You shall be fearless. You shall stand in my name. You shall be... about you but every time that lion roars i kind of get these chills all over right does anybody else have mm, okay thank you thank you i'm not alone here this morning good all right very good hey uh, i've been telling you over the past several weeks it's been a it's been an exciting time here at vertical to see some growth new families coming in and it's been uh we had so much that we're having to expand three of our elevate children's groups so uh, we've had, we already have expanded our nursery area, so some folks have volunteered and said, oh, every, every four or five weeks I'll go down and hold some babies during the service so some moms and dads can enjoy a time of worship, so thank you for that. We're going to do the same thing with our pre-K, those who are up and moving around a little bit more, and, uh, and then our third and fourth grade. So the way that works here, that's happening right now during our service. Volunteers are there, children are there, and they're learning and having a great time. They're worshiping together, the older ones at least, and... Uh, we have volunteers here. They're serving right now. And uh, they're giving their time once every four to five weeks to serve so that moms and dads can be in here. So uh, a little bit later in our service, we'll, I'll bring this to your attention again. And if that's something you would like to do to help out, to make a difference in a child's life and make a difference in a mom and dad's life, we'd love to have you participate in that. We're opening these new, uh, these new groups November 4th. So that's coming up. So uh, lately, uh, or recently, Brianna, our oldest, had a birthday. She's turning 19 again, so it's been great. <laughs> and so um, we got together and we went to an escape the room. How many of you have done an escape the room thing? Yeah, it's kind of fun. So what you do is you go to this place where they have set up this room that is filled with kind of mysteries and clues and they kind of give you a setting. So like the one we went to, it was an Old West town and we were in a post office. And so in the post office was a safe, a real safe. And so you had to find certain clues in the room. You had to find keys in the room. You had to make your way through this room and try to get to the key that got you to where the safe was so that you could find the dynamite to blow up the safe. I hope I'm not giving too much away if you haven't been there yet. And then you had to get out of the room. You had to get the actual key to get out of the room to escape the room. It was fascinating. You had one hour to do it. And I'm excited to say that with 10 seconds left on the clock, 15, Taylor says, we made it out of the room. Oh, man, my heart was racing. We, we were all struggling, but we made it out of the room. The way you do that is you have to find the clues that are in the room that help you know how to find the treasure and how to find your way out of the room, to know how to escape the room. If you don't find the clues, <clears throat> then you cannot escape the room. Here's the crazy thing. The clues are right in front of you. They're everywhere. You walk into the room and there, I'm not going to tell you what's in the room in case you want to go do this one escape the room, but there are things there that have the clues so obvious right in front of you. When it's over, you're like, 
Duh, it's right there, it's right there. In fact, there were times that we got to a place where we were stuck, that we didn't know what to do next. Here's what's fascinating. In this little room that we were in where this is all taking place, they have cameras, video cameras, and microphones, and there's a guy they call the clue master who's watching you from outside the space. He's watching everything you do, he hears everything you say, And he told us before it started, he said, if you get stuck at some point, just call out to me and I'll give you a clue. Is this a church? Are y'all trying to tell us a spiritual message here? We just call out and we get clues about what we're trying to do, right? He said, yeah. So there were several times. We would get stuck. We didn't know what to do next. And, And trust me, there's 11 of us in the room that have all graduated from high school. And we got stuck. And we said, can we have a clue, please? On the TV, comes up a clue. Guess what kind of helpful clue they gave us? Your clue is right in front of you. (laughs) Wow, really? That's the answer? That's what you're going to give us? Turned out, they were right. It was right in front of us. We just had to look and know how to interpret what was in the room already and use it to escape the room. You had to interpret the clues that were there all along. You had to know how to take them, interpret them, and use them to escape the room. You know, life is kind of like that. Life is filled with clues. God has given us pictures words, symbols that point us to the way to real life. And when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, he gives you more to help you in the process. And if you get stuck, you call out to him, God, I don't know what to do next. And he will say to you, it's right in front of you. He will give us what we need to interpret his word and apply it to our life and experience all that he has for us. Now what happens is, oftentimes, we don't know how to interpret what's right in front of us. And so we end up making some pretty unhealthy choices. We end up in some bad places. We end up in a stuck place in our heart because we didn't know how to interpret what was right in front of us. We're in a series now called Dauntless. We've been looking at the life of Daniel in the Old Testament. A young man who has grown over time in our study. In fact, today, where we're going to meet Daniel, he's in his 80s. Some time has passed. He's not a young man anymore. He's an older man who's walked with God who knows God's heart, who has trusted God through some very difficult and challenging times, who trusted God when what was around him didn't have many clues, but he had every clue he needed in God himself. And he trusted God. He refused to give in. He believed God when no one else would. He trusted God when everyone else was telling him not to. He believed God when he couldn't see it right around him, and it made him a dauntless man. It made him a man who was willing to believe and fight and chase off bugs. (laughs) Get away, bug. And what was 
The unusual gift that God gave Daniel was the gift of being able to interpret. There were dreams that the king would have, Nebuchadnezzar, and he couldn't interpret them. He called on Daniel, who knew exactly what they meant. You know, sometimes life is like that. We go through life and a series of circumstances happen. Some things unfold in our life. And we reach that place where we don't know how to interpret them. God, why is this happening? What you're asking for is, God, help me interpret what is happening so that I can know what to do next. Amen? And those things come. They're designed by God. So they would cause us to say, God, I need a clue. I need a clue. And he gives them to you. Daniel became a master at interpreting, interpretation. It's what we do in life. If you're, um, if you're in business, if you're a business owner, if you're an accountant, part of what you do is interpret spreadsheets, charts, and statistics. You interpret them and you make decisions based on them. If you're in marketing, you are interpreting spending patterns, demographics, and you are making decisions about a product, how to advertise, how to shape the product. If you meet with someone, if you're going to hire someone to your business or organization, you meet with someone and you do your best to interpret what they are telling you, what their resume says, their body language, their tone of voice. You're listening to all of that because you're wanting to interpret, is this the right choice? Policemen who arrive on a scene are doing their best to interpret what has happened here. There are voices all around me. There are people telling me what has happened. But what do the facts say about what has happened here? They're trying to interpret. We all, as believers in Christ, are doing our best to interpret what's happening in the culture today. God, where are you? God, what do we do? God, how do we move in this moment? How you interpret what's happening is everything. In fact, sometimes, how you... Let me take that back. All the time... How you interpret is often bigger than the event that's happening. What you conclude about the event is more important than the event. If you have a tragedy come your way, it can affect you. It will affect you. But how you interpret it will determine how deeply it affects you. Whether it moves you toward God or away from God. If you interpret the tragedy, the difficulty, the loss, the problem, if you interpret that as God must be angry at me, God must have removed his hand from me, or that there is no God, I can promise you, you're going to end up in a bad spot. But if you interpret the tragedy, the loss, the pain, the difficulty in light of God, I can't see you right now, but I know you are good. I believe you are there. I believe you are sovereign, then that will change everything about you. 
how you interpret the moment is bigger than the moment, right? Interpretation is trying to bring meaning out of the mysterious. So a mom, she's at home, she hears her children in the back room playing, and all of a sudden it turns to cries. The children come running down the hallway to her, and they're both saying, Mom, he did! Fill in the blank. No, Mom, she did! Fill in the blank. And the mom has that very difficult task of interpreting what happened. Right, moms? <laughs> Some amens on that one. Interpretation, trying to bring meaning out of the mysterious. A husband comes home from work one day and his wife is crying. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> he, he does his best to interpret what has happened here today. What do I do? Let me just tell you guys, don't try to fix it, whatever it is. Listen. I'm telling myself that too. Listen and care. Don't try to fix it. It's part of what we do as men. But guys, if you want to win, you've got to interpret correctly. It's important how you interpret. Heather's dad tells the story of going to um, Heather's my wife. Her dad is Nick Harris, who used to be the pastor of Villa Road Baptist Church. And he's gone on some missionary trips. A little bit of background there for you. He goes to Bulgaria from time to time. And he says the culture in Bulgaria is very different than the culture here. They speak a different language than we do here. In fact, their, their customs are very different than, than we, what we have here. In fact, here, if someone says, um, can I get you a glass of water? And you want a glass of water. Here in America, you do this. Would you like a glass of water? Okay. In Bulgaria, if you want a glass of water, when someone asks you for a glass of water, you do this. That would be tough, right? Would you like a glass of water? And you're saying yes. To them, this means no, and this means yes. I'm serious. In Bulgaria. If you ever go to Bulgaria, practice that ahead of time. The culture is different. You've got to know how to interpret there or you'll find yourself in some very odd situations. You'll find yourself not getting water or you'll find yourself getting a lot of water when you didn't want any water. It's all about interpretation. You know, faith, faith helps us accurately interpret life. Faith helps me have God's perspective and God's truth and I use that, thank you for killing that bug, it's been bothering me. <laughs> Faith helps you see life for what it really is. Faith is not a Sunday add-on to life. Faith helps you accurately interpret life. It is the interpreter. And so I'm listening to what God says I'm trusting what God says, even though my emotions may say something different, even though people may be telling me something different, faith knows how to accurately interpret life. And those who are mature in the faith are the ones you need to be going to when you can't figure out life. Because they have learned and are learning how to interpret God into the situation. There's a fascinating verse over in 1 Chronicles 12. It talks about some men. In fact, they're called the, the sons of Issachar. 
They were men, it says, who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Mm. Man, if there's ever been a time that it's necessary for believers, followers of Jesus Christ, to need to know what to do, it's today. And it takes interpreting life, family, community, and the culture all by faith. Now today, we're going to see where Daniel is in Daniel chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there, Daniel chapter 5. If you've got a, a Bible app, help yourself there. You can follow along on screen. Let me give you a little bit of background. Daniel is no longer a teenager as we met him in chapter 1. Daniel is now in his 80s. He's an older gentleman. He's been taken captive in Babylon. He's been there for some 70 years. 70 years he's lived in a place he didn't want to be. 70 years he's been away from his home. 70 years he's been forced to live in a culture that was not what he grew up in. And over that time, he has remained dauntless. At some times when it cost him, he said, I will not give in to the temptations. I will not defile my body. I will not eat the king's food. I will not drink the king's wine. I will stay true to my God. Over that time, he has served under a man named Nebuchadnezzar, a wicked king. We saw last week how Nebuchadnezzar actually reached a place in his life where he kind of lost his mind, really. He thought he was an animal and lived outside for seven years. But then he broke, finally. He reached a low point in his life, and he cried out to God, and Nebuchadnezzar became a changed man. He praised the God of heaven. He put away all the gods that he had followed. But Nebuchadnezzar died. Where we meet Daniel today, it's 23 years since that time. 23 years later. 23 years after seeing God do something big. But 23 years and Daniel's still in Babylon. 23 years and there's been some other rulers who've come and gone. They've been wicked. The political system's become corrupt again. People want to rule and so they kill others so that they can rule and they get killed and back and forth it goes until a man by the name of Belshazzar will become the ruler. He's married into the family. He's not part of the birth chain. He's married into the family and he's ruling. Daniel chapter 5 verse 1 says this, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. It's a day to celebrate, Belshazzar says, and he calls all of his people together. A lot of people. This is not just a small party. This is a big party, and they're going to celebrate. The scripture is, is uh, relatively conservative, conservative in the way it describes it. Actually, it was, um, if you were to look a little beneath the surface, you'd find this is not just a simple party. This is a drunken orgy that's taking place. This is where people are giving themselves over to all sensuality, to the gods, all kinds of immorality. It goes on in verse 2, and it says this, that while he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem. 
that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. This is the ultimate in blasphemy. This is the ultimate in I don't need you, God. This is the ultimate of in your face, king of kings, lord of lords. We're gonna take the things that were in your temple and we are going to drink from them. And we'll drink from them, in fact, in honor of our gods, in your face. Verse three, then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple in the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and the concubines drank from them. Verse four, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. They had no respect for the one true God. They trusted in the gods that they believed would make them wealthy, that there was a God for the gold, for the silver, for the bronze, iron, and they praised them. It was a culture given over to drunkenness, immorality, rejection of the one true God, making a mockery of his ways, a mockery of his holiness, a mockery of the sacrifice that was offered in the temple. It was a culture of arrogance, power, pleasure-seeking, and this is where Daniel lives. Do you ever find yourself feeling out of place with the culture? That it just doesn't feel right, that you feel like you're in a different place than most folks. Your beliefs are different, your practices are different, and it used to be that you could speak out, but now you don't. It's just better to kind of keep it to yourself. For 23 years, Daniel has done this. There's no record of Daniel speaking out any time between the death of Nebuchadnezzar and now Belshazzar. 23 years he has kept his faith and waited and prayed, believing that God would one day do something. 23 years of waiting. What we're about to read is the day that God does something. Verse five, in the same hour, in other words, while this party is happening, while they are drunk, while they are in the middle of their immorality, while they are given a stiff arm to God and they are praising all the other gods in the midst of their utter darkness in that same hour, it says the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Now let me be clear. This is not something that's happening because Belshazzar is drunk. This is happening because you have just awoken the justice 
hand of God. And it is time that he act. And so the scripture is very clear about where this happened. Most likely from what archaeologists and biblical scholars can conclude. Where this was happening was right near the king's throne in the room. Right in the area above where he sat, a hand appears. And this hand begins to write on the wall. And it's going to cause a ruckus. Let's move on to verse 6. It says there, Then the king's countenance changed. In other words, if you were looking at his face, it went from a big smile and I don't care about anybody, a big arrogant, puffed up look on his face to all of a sudden one of sheer terror. His face changed in that moment. Something changed. His heart sunk. His face changed. It says, and his thoughts troubled him. Troubled him. All of a sudden, racing thoughts. All of a sudden, terrible thoughts. So that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked together or knocked against each other. Now, that's something you normally see in the movies. Maybe fans of Don Knotts would recognize something like this happening, right? Okay? You can just see Don Knotts standing there and his knees knocking together, right? This is actually happening. Fear in him causes his joints to be loose, and he is so terrified, he cannot even stand up straight. Mm, verse 7. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and he shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Whoever can tell me the interpretation, whoever can interpret this event for me will be exalted. Wow. And he calls in everybody he can think of. All of those that were supposed to be the wisest men, he's looking for an interpretation from them. It's what people do who don't know God or who have rejected God. They look to everybody else for their opinions, their insight, their experiences to say, help me interpret what's happening right now in my life. Verse 8 says, now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Belshar together again. He was in a bad spot. He couldn't interpret what was happening. They could not interpret what was happening. God was speaking and they couldn't figure it out. God had something to say to them and they were clueless as to what it meant. Verse 9, then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. He was troubled before, he's really troubled now. Because no one can give him the interpretation. His countenance was changed and his lords 
were astonished. They'd never seen Belshazzar in such a way. They'd never seen this man of great power to be so weak. They've never seen this man who seemed to have it all together have nothing together and all of a sudden in this moment. You see, people without a moral and faith base have no way to interpret life accurately. If you don't know God, if you don't have Christ as the center of your life, you have absolutely no way of interpreting life. God will show up right in front of you, give you his word, and you'll be clueless. You know, Daniel watched this for some time. He'd watch Nebuchadnezzar have God speak so plainly to him and Nebuchadnezzar be clueless. And now he was watching another king, a man who was basing his whole life on his own opinions, his own power, his own wants. I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it. I won't have any God tell me what to do. I'll do what I want. All of a sudden this moment happens and he doesn't know how to interpret it. But that's what happens when you refuse to listen to God. You actually get a culture, when a whole culture is this way, which is what Daniel was kind of living in the midst of, you get a culture that is weird. You get people saying things that actually contradict something else that they say. It just doesn't make sense. When you don't have a moral and faith base, you say things that don't make sense. And of course it's happening today. Let me just give you some examples of some weird stuff that's happening today. You get people today in the culture who say they want freedom of expression, but at the same time, they don't want Christians who are exercising their freedom of expression to speak out about what they have to say. You see, that's confusing. We want freedom of expression, but we want you Christians to be quiet. You can't have both of those, that's confusing. The culture says that there's more, far more than two genders. Stay with me on this. But at the same time, they cry out for women's rights. Are you hearing me? In one breath, you can't just say women. You've got to have all these XYZs. But over here, all of a sudden, we've got women again. You, you, you get confusion if you don't have a moral base. But you have a culture today who says they want rights for children and no child should be left behind, but at the same time they believe in abortion. You can't have it both ways. You're confusing. You don't have a, a moral base. You come up with some very weird stuff. You... You have a culture today who wants the freedom of expression and the right to distribute pornography at the same time who cries out against objectifying women. That's confusing. You're doing both. You got a culture today who wants the freedom to drink beyond excess, but at the same time cries out against irresponsible drinking behavior. It's confusing. That's what happens when you have a culture, when you have a people, when somebody refuses to acknowledge God, they have confusion in their mind. And when God shows up to speak to them one day, they are absolutely clueless. It's confusing. 
the passage continues. I'm going to skip, for sake of time, some verses. 10 through 16, we read that uh, Belshazzar calls in the queen. Maybe she can interpret what's happening. Surely, surely she'll know what's going on here in this moment. The queen comes in, and she's clueless too. But the queen says this, you know, there was a guy some time back. There was a guy here who could interpret dreams and mysteries. Uh, yeah, Daniel. Daniel's his name. Why don't you get Daniel and see if he can come interpret what's happening? Mm. You see, consistent righteousness pays off in credibility. When you're faithful over time, it may not be the first year. It may not be the fifth year. It may not be the 17th year. For Daniel, it's 23 years. And all of a sudden, someone says, you know, that guy, Daniel. They call him in. Verse 17 says, then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writings to the king and make known to him the interpretation. You see, the king had tried to offer Daniel stuff, as we had seen. Daniel, I'll, I'll make you third in the kingdom. I'll give you all this stuff. Tell me what this means. And Daniel says, you know, I don't, I don't function by payoff like this. I don't need your money to interpret and do what God has given me a gift to do. I'll give you the interpretation. You keep your money. See, Daniel was a man who had remained faithful, dauntless, refused to give in. And now Daniel was seeing God use him. When it comes to interpreting life, interpreting God, accurate interpretation requires a heart that is free from conflict. That's what you find in Daniel. 70 years he's been there, 23 years since Nebuchadnezzar died. And Daniel has stayed faithful. He didn't let some stuff get stuck in his heart that it would have been very easy to do. You see, it would have been very easy for Daniel to get bitter. I can't believe they've taken me from my home. I can't believe they took my stuff. I can't believe they're allowing this stuff to go on. Boy, I'm going to show them. They're going to ask me for something one day, and I'm going to say, uh-uh. He could have done that. It had been very easy to justify his anger, his resentment, his bitterness. It had been very easy to say, Daniel, I get it, man. I wouldn't say anything either. Daniel, I get it, man. I'd put together a plot, maybe even try to take, you know. It could have, Daniel could have justified a lot of stuff because of what had happened to him, because of what he'd lost, because of what it had cost him, because of how it hurt. He could have justified a lot of stuff, but Daniel didn't do that. He didn't allow bitterness to get stuck in his heart. He didn't allow anger to get stuck in his heart. He didn't allow all the things that are just natural to life. When the painful stuff comes, Daniel did not let it get stuck in his heart when he could have. He could have been bitter that it was 70 years. He could have been depressed that he hadn't seen God work. He could have just crawled into a cave and said, what's the use? Could have been very angry. But if he had done that, this moment would have come and he would not have known how to interpret it accurately. You see, here's what happens. 
things happen in our life that are painful. Every one of us this has happened to. Someone has hurt you, disappointed you, rejected you, taken advantage of you. You lost a job when you shouldn't have in your mind. Some things happened to you that you thought were not fair. All of that stuff happens to every one of us. That doesn't mean because you come to Christ that that stuff doesn't happen to you. It happens to you. But your response to it and your interpretation of it is bigger than the event itself, as we said earlier. So if you get bitter about it, if you get angry about it, it can affect you. It'll get stuck up inside your heart, and it'll affect how you think the next time a situation like that happens again. You get in what you feel unequal or unjustly let go from your job. The next time you're at a job and something like that happens again, if you have let bitterness creep in, you'll unload the minute that happens because you have let bitterness get stuck in your heart. You're angry over the situation. It can happen like this. Let's say a man is hurt by a woman in some way, rejects his love, his affection, whatever it might be, takes advantage of him. If he allows resentment and bitterness to get harbored in his heart, the next time another woman comes along and the situation starts looking like that again, he'll be convinced there's something wrong with all women. She did it to me. She did it to me. This one did it to me. This is the way all women are. And you let bitterness get stuck in your heart. You'll misinterpret the situation. You'll judge it wrongly. And you'll come to some wrong conclusions. And it'll affect the direction of your life. You'll all of a sudden decide that all women can't be trusted. All women should be seen in a negative light. You'll listen to negative stories about women. You'll speak out against women. And you'll miss God working in your life through some women. You see what happens if you let hurt get stuck in your heart? You won't interpret life accurately. Let's say you deal with some insecurities in your life, some fears. If you let that get stuck in your heart, it will affect how you interpret life. You'll see another group of people in a room talking, and because you've let insecurity be stuck in your heart, you'll look at those people talking and you'll say, I bet they're talking about me. I can tell. They just looked over here. I know they're talking about me. I, and they're not talking good things about me either. See, that's what insecurity does to you. When you let that get stuck in your heart, you'll come to some wrong interpretations of life. You'll think the wrong things about people. You'll think the wrong things about situations. You'll think the wrong things about God. If you're dealing with insecurities in your heart, God will speak to you one day and call you to himself and have something great for you to do. And you'll say, I don't think he's talking to me. I could never be used like that by God. I don't think he really is even for me. Your insecurity just caused you to miss and wrongly interpret life. Daniel 
kept himself from those, even though it would have been easy. The story goes on. I'm skipping down to verse 22. And he gets real straight with Belshazzar. Daniel just doesn't hold back anymore. He says, you, his son Belshazzar, you've not humbled your heart, although you knew all of this, referring back to Nebuchadnezzar. He tells the whole Nebuchadnezzar story. He says, and you've lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. This is a man who's dauntless. This is a man who's 80 years old. This is a man who said, I can trust my God in the midst of all this situation. I've seen him work before. I know I'll, he'll work again. Here we go. He goes on with the passage, verse 23, the second part. He says, they brought the vessels of his house, God's house before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you've praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron and stone, which you do not see, hear, or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. Daniel says, look, I'm going to interpret the situation for you. Here's what happened. You have turned your back on God. You have stiff-armed God. You have made a mockery of God. And so the hand has come tonight. The writing is on the wall, Belshazzar. That's where this phrase comes from. The writing is on the wall, right? You see, dauntless faith interprets events through God and not God through the events. Dauntless faith says, okay, there's some things happening right now in my life. I don't understand them. I don't know that I get why they're happening. And when you get to the unknown, you go back to what you do know. You go back to the fact that God loves you. That God is there for you. And that God has a purpose for your life. And you hold on to that and then interpret the event. You don't do it the other way around and say, this painful thing happened to me. It wasn't fair what happened to me. It wasn't right what happened to me. They took advantage of me. They hurt me. They stole from me. It's not right what happened to me. This all stuff, all this stuff happened to me. Now, God, now I'm going to look at you through my event. If you do that, you'll come to some wrong conclusions. You'll think that God is against you when he's for you. You'll think that God hates you when he loves you, but you have let hurt, anger, resentment, insecurity, fear get stuck in your heart, and you've wrongly interpreted life. Mm. I was thinking this morning when we were um, singing a while ago and worshiping, and the line, I am a child of God. We're singing all these songs that are just reaffirming truth. I'm thinking, that's what we're doing here. We are interpreting life based on God. And we're saying it and singing it to one another. That's why we gather here like this, to do that. To remind one another, build ourselves up in the most holy faith, the New Testament says. And you interpret life through God, not God through life. And man, it's important who you surround yourself with. It's important who's in the room with you. Who's helping you interpret life. We all have those people in our life. You've got that one that you know the minute something happens, you're going to text them. You're going to call them. You're going to send them a message. 
and they're going to help you. They're going to speak truth to you. At least I hope that's what you have. I hope you don't have somebody in your life that doesn't have a moral base or a faith base and that you look to them for interpretation because they'll say some pretty wrong stuff to you. You get in the middle of a marital conflict. You call someone who doesn't have faith at the core and they'll say to you, well, if I were you, I'd leave that, sorry. <laughs> right? Well, I'll tell you what I'd do to them. When he wasn't looking, I'd open his gas tank up and I'd put... <laughs> right? You'll get someone like that and you'll tell them about a situation at work and they'll say to you, well, I'd tell that boss he needs to... Because they're interpreting life without God at the center. And you'll come up with some weird, wrong stuff. God will show up and be speaking to you. He'll be putting the writing on the wall. He'll write it out and make it plain. And you'll look at it and go, huh? And they'll look at it and go, uh-uh. And off you'll go. If Belshazzar did anything right, he asked Daniel, Help me interpret this. Verse 23, we get the description, we get the interpretation. Daniel says, and this is the inscription that was written. Mine, mine, tikal, eupharsin. Now, I'm going to need some interpretation. Hello? We all do this morning. Because I don't have a clue, apart from Scripture, of what that means. But Scripture's going to go ahead and write it for us. But see, this is what happens, people. They have stuff happen in their life, and it looks like, mine, mine, tikal, you farseen. It's like, <laughs> why is this happening to me? Why is my marriage like this? Why are my kids like this? Why is my job like this? Why is the culture like this? It might as well be mine, mine, tikal, you farseen, right? You're like, oh, no. But Daniel is a wise man. Verse 26, he says, this is the interpretation of each word. Let me just give it to you straight. Mine, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Boom. Verse 27, Tikal, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Mm. Verse 28, Peras, the word for you far seen. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. In other words, those words on the wall, Belshazzar, means God has been watching you. God has weighed you. You've come up way short. And he's taking your kingdom and giving it to someone else. Your days are done. Oh, this would have been the right time to cry out to God and repent. This would have been the right time to humble himself and say, God, forgive me. That would have been the right thing to do. But that is not what Scripture says next. It says, in fact, 
Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him and that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. Thank you. Thank you for that interpretation. Uh, gold, please. Purple robe, please. Uh, third in the kingdom. Let's move on. All right, so, to, you know, he just, it's like, hello. Do you not see what just happened? God is speaking to you. It can't be any clearer. Why aren't you hearing this? Why aren't you listening? Why aren't you putting this into practice? I just interpreted God's word for you. Mm. I just put it plain in your lap. And you're going to act like, all right, let's move on. You're going to act like this didn't happen. You're going to act like you just missed God. And he did. God showed up in a miraculous way. God spoke in a very clear way. You know what's fascinating? If you do a little bit of study here, those words, were, they're, they're foreign language to us, but to Belshazzar, they were not foreign words. They were in the language of the day. He should and would have known the words. He's not looking at them like us, like, mine, what does mine mean? That's what we sound like here, right? So He didn't do that. He knew exactly what he meant. He just didn't know how to interpret what God was saying through it. What's interesting is what happens next is summed up in Scripture by a verse. But history actually records what happened. Here we have some history that verifies Scripture as if we need it. We don't. But it's fascinating. Because you see, here's what the verse says in 30 and 31. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Scripture sums up in just two verses. That night he died. He was slain. Here's what history records of that night. Babylon, you see, was a uh, massive city, as I told you last week. Babylon was uh, one of the ancient wonders of the world. Massive. Walls built around it. Walls to protect those who were inside it. How could an army ever come in? And one of the things that the Babylonians were most proud of, that Nebuchadnezzar himself, engineer, architect, designer, was so proud of, is that he had mastered a way for the Euphrates River to come right through the middle of the city. Wow. Its own water source cut off from everybody else, just close the gates. We've still got our own water source. We have the river right here. But what he thought was his greatest strength was about to become his greatest weakness. There's a whole sermon in that right there. Because the Medes and Persians were smart too. And they said, you know what? If we go upstream some, upriver, let's put a wall Let's block the water. Let's divert it so that the river doesn't flow through the middle of the town anymore. They did. So instead of what was a river, it became a road. And the soldiers said, let's go. And they went down under the wall, came up into the city, and that is where Scripture says Belshazzar was slain. 
they killed him that night. And God proved himself true. You know, that's the way it works. When you trust God in spite of what you see in the moment, when you put God ahead of your circumstances, your own opinion about your situation, what others are telling you, he will be faithful. Dauntless faith confidently believes and patiently waits for God to move. Every one of us are in some situation right now where you do not know all of the reasons why it happened or is happening or what's going to happen next. Every one of us. And how you interpret that event will settle everything about whether you're going to see God work or not. Or whether you will interpret the event rightly or not. You may be at some conflict in your marriage right now. And boy, there are a lot of voices out there who will tell you the exact wrong thing to do. You might be in a situation right now where you're struggling with your children. There are a lot of voices out there that will tell you the wrong thing to do. You might be in a situation where you're struggling on your job, struggling with a, a personal issue, and there are a lot of voices that will tell you the wrong thing. But God has an answer for all of it. But it requires that you say, I need a clue. I need some help. If you don't do that, you'll miss it. You'll misinterpret the situation. You'll find yourself angry and bitter. You'll find yourself with no answers. Instead of being like Daniel, you say, God, I trust you. And I'll keep trusting you as long as I have to. And forever. Because I believe you have a purpose for me. You've called me here. You have an answer for me. And I will remain dauntless. Would you bow your heads with me? Today, as I said, I know every one of us is at some place where we need God to speak. Where we need God to give us a clue. And it requires you calling out then receiving it and then acting on it not just hearing it and saying okay great thank you but hearing it and acting on it it might be that some of you have come to this moment today and you you know you've not ever come to a spot where you've put your faith in Christ this whole thing about Knowing God is, is new to you. But today, because you know he's speaking to you, it, it's screaming out in your heart. The handwriting is on the wall. You know that if you don't do something, then what's ahead is disastrous. And today, you're wanting to cry out to God and say, God, I've so made a mess. I need a clue. 
thank you that you've given me the clue in Jesus Christ. I come and I submit, I bow, I surrender, and I accept your love for me. I need to start new today. If you're doing that today, then you're experiencing new life in Jesus Christ. He will make things new in you. He'll help you interpret life. Whichever you are today, the one in need of knowing Christ for the first time, or the one who's at the place where you say, God, I'm at a place, I've walked with you for a long time, but I need a clue, because I don't have one right now. He will be faithful to answer when you cry out. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word that fills us with hope, that leaves us at a place where we can look at what's happening around us and know you are over it all. You are bigger than it all. You are better than it all. And you invite us to come, to humble ourselves, to follow you, to go all in with you, to believe you are the one who saves and delivers and makes new and who will bring to pass what you promised. So today, as we now respond to you, apply what you've started in us, we ask that we would hear and quickly obey. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I really hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. I hope it has inspired you to lift him up and live him out. If you'd like to know more about Vertical Church, check us out online at verticalchurchovilla.com. We'll see you next time.